We are having new singers all the time and new musicians all the time, and, and uh, they are certainly doing a, a wonderful job, and we are so thankful for that. You know, we mentioned that during the pandemic, as, as much of a blessing it doesn't seem to go through a pandemic, God has blessed us through it because more and more of you have volunteered to be ministers for the Lord. And so we are thankful for that blessing that has certainly come from this past year of going through what we have gone through and going to online and, and things like that. But we're just excited about what God is doing through His church among us. And again, we're so happy to be a part of it. Today we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Matthew and continuing in our Sermon on the Mount series. Today we are looking at the fifth beatitude, which is going to be found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. So let's go ahead and begin by finding Matthew 5, and we're going to read today chapter 5, beginning at verse 3, and we'll go to verse 10. These are the eight beatitudes that Jesus teaches in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And when you find that in your Bibles, would you stand with me and I'll read this today, the words of Jesus. Again, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 to verse 10. These are the Beatitudes. Verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness and mercy. And so today's sermon is titled, Ministers of Mercy. Together, and they seem to be broken up into two parts. The first four and the second four. The first four beatitudes, the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst, those who desire to be like Jesus. Those first four beatitudes are mainly concentrated on the believer's relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But now in the second half of the Beatitudes, from 5, 6, 7, and 8, beginning with merciful, we're now looking at the believer's relationship with people in the world. And it makes sense that this would come after speaking about our relationship with Jesus for a right relationship with people will grow from, to call them brother and sister in Christ, or whether they are considered your enemies in the world, however it may be, a right relationship with Jesus will help us to grow in a right relationship with people. You know, the Christian life is not about us walking around and just saying, all right, it's just, it's just me and Jesus. That's it. The Christian life is just me and Jesus. Well, in some respect, that's true. It, it is you and Jesus. That's what it means to be Christian. But it doesn't end there. It's not just about you and Jesus. Because after you meet Jesus, 
and learn from Him, He will turn your eyes upon the people of the world. And so I believe that when we look up as the Beatitudes begin, blessed are the poor in spirit, when we look up to Christ and we see all that He is and all that He's done, we know that we are impoverished in our spirit. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves, so we just come to Him. We look unto Him and we say, Lord, save us. And the more we look upward to Jesus, the more it will cause us then to look inward at our own selves and see the sin that so easily ensnares us. And as this relationship grows, looking up to Jesus, looking in at ourselves, then Jesus casts our eyes outward to look at the world. One of the greatest examples of this is Isaiah. What happened to Isaiah chapter 6? What happened to him? Isaiah says, first, I looked up and I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, holy and glorious. He looked upward and the very next thing, he said, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. I am a sinner. He looked inward to himself and saw himself as a sinner deserving judgment from that Lord that sits on the throne. But then an angel came and touched Isaiah's lips with a hot coal, and he says, your sins have been forgiven. And then God said, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? There's the people of Israel that are dying in their sin, and they need to hear the word of God. They need to be warned. They need to know that judgment is coming. They need to repent. So the Lord says, among all of heaven, whom shall I send? And Isaiah said, here am I, Lord. Send me. Send me to the people, and I will speak to them. I will love them, and I will teach them your ways. What happened to Isaiah? He looked up, he looked in, and he looked out. That's what a relationship with Jesus is all about. It's not just between me and Jesus. It's about the world and all who live in it. And you begin to see them as God sees them. And we are called to be ministers. No, a minister is not just that guy who speaks here at the pulpit, who's called the pastor of the church. He's not just only the, the minister we're talking about. We're all called into ministry. We're all called to be ministers. And ministers of mercy. Do you know what a minister is? A minister is someone who has received something from the Lord and then they give it freely to somebody else. They're in service to the Lord. They're the Lord's servant. And the Lord gives and the Lord speaks and then the minister takes that word takes that compassion and gives it out to the people. That's what a minister does. You know, when I was about 10 years old, my family, we took a trip to Israel. The first and only time I've ever been there. And I remember being in Israel, there were two bodies of water that we visited. One was called the Sea of Galilee, which we read about a lot in the Gospels, the, the lake that Jesus walked on top of the water. We went to the Sea of Galilee and we also visited south to another body of water called the Dead Sea. 
Both of these bodies of water are connected by the Jordan River. Now we first visited the Sea of Galilee. And I remembered it was a big, big lake. It was fed into from the Jordan River. And then the Sea of Galilee, it was what I remember, beautiful water. Wonderful to swim in, nice and cold. We took paddle boats out on that lake. And there are many kinds of tilapia fish that are in that lake. There are still many people fishing in that lake. It's a wonderful place to be. It's filled with life inside. And there's all kinds of life on the outside of the Sea of Galilee. And then we went to visit the Dead Sea. And it was nothing like the Sea of Galilee. The Dead Sea is the most salty body of water on earth. Impurities. And when you go into that water as I did, you lay in the water and you just float. You don't sink, you float on top of the water. That's how dense it is with impurities. And after a while, it starts to burn your skin. It's not actually good to be in that water. I was told as a young boy, make sure when you go into that water and you lay on your back, do not try to turn over on your stomach and swim. Because you're going to float on the surface, which means your head will be face down in the water, and you don't want that to happen. Well, as the fool I was at the age of 10, I didn't want to listen. So I tried to be cool and show my brothers I can do it, and my face went right into that water, and I swallowed a big gulp of that water, and I was sick for the next three or four hours. It was horrible, nasty. There's no life in that sea. That's why it's called the Dead Sea, and there's no life around it. What is the difference between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. They're connected by the out of the lake, and it's a constant system, a constant stream. It's just a channel for the Jordan River. What flows in, flows out. But the Dead Sea, it collects from the Jordan River, and there's no outflow of that water. So that water, a minister of the Lord, the blessings of God flow into the believer and they must flow out as well. If you're only receiving blessing from the Lord, but you don't care about people or minister to their need, you are as good as the Dead Sea. You're more harmful than you are good. You don't bless anyone. We are called to be ministers. It's at this point in the Beatitudes where Jesus describes the manifestation of the life that he gives inside of us. Outward signs that salvation truly lies within. Now when it comes to poor in spirit, mourning, meekness, desiring Christ, these things are often private and personal matters between the believer and the Lord. But now, we see what grows out of that inner life that belongs to Christ. We see what comes out of that personal relationship with Jesus. And according to Jesus, the first outflow of that Christian life is mercy. To show mercy, to be merciful. We are ministers of mercy. Mercy is kindness. It's love compassion. It's helping someone who's in need. 
Not because they deserve it, but because they need help. They need to be loved. They need kindness. Mercy shows that compassion. Mercy is what we have received from the Lord. Amen? Can you all testify that the Lord has been merciful to you? If you have trouble thinking about something he's done for you, just remember the cross of Jesus Christ. There is the crown of mercy for you that he gave his life for you. That was mercy from God. And day after day, God is merciful to us. As Jeremiah said, every morning there are new mercies from the Lord. And so, what we have received from the Lord, as ministers, we are to freely give what we have received and what flows out of our hearts. So let's look at ministers of mercy by answering those two questions that we keep asking about the Beatitudes. What does that beatitude mean? And why does Jesus call them blessed? So the first question we come to today is, who are the merciful? And the second question we'll consider, why are they blessed? Amen. You ready? First question, who believers who become a channel of the Lord's compassion? It's believers that have received the compassion of the Lord and they also learn to show compassion to others. They're simply a channel for God's compassion to flow from heaven into people's lives. That's what it means to be merciful, to be ministers of the Lord's mercy. Compassion. You can't separate mercy from compassion. To be merciful is to be compassionate. And we've talked about that word many times from Scripture. Compassion. It doesn't just simply mean you feel bad for somebody. You see someone in a, in a difficult condition or situation and you just, you feel bad. Well, that's nice, but that's not compassion. Compassion is when we have empathy for someone. It's when you don't just feel bad for somebody, but in that feeling, you do something about it. You see a man who is starving, and you say, wow, I feel so bad for that man. If only he had something to eat. <laughs> That's not mercy. That's not compassion. Compassion is, I feel for that man. Therefore, I will feed him. I'll give him something to eat. That is compassion. And in the Bible, every time Jesus had compassion on the multitude, it says that he had compassion on all the multitude of people, and then he healed them all. Or yet, Paul says that Jesus had compassion does. It feels and it does for people who are in need. Every time on Sunday, I have the wonderful opportunity to preach to a group of people. And I love to do that. I love seeing many of you, and some of you I don't quite know very well. But I love to see just a whole multitude of people and preach the gospel. Because I know wherever you come from, whoever you are, you need to hear what the Lord has to say today. 
every single one of you. I don't know where you're coming from today, but the Lord does. You might be here today and you haven't been here for a long time. Or you may be here for the first time. It's no coincidence you're here today. Evidently, the Lord wants you to learn about mercy. But many times I just proclaim the word of God to a group of people like this, to another, and ask you how you're doing in life. Ask you what is troubling you in life. I want to know what you're going through. I want to know what you're feeling today. I want to know what's happened to you and where you are spiritually and mentally and physically today. And as I have learned one-on-one with people, I have found out that we all come from the same place of weakness. We all come from the same place of need. We all come from the same place of sin. There's not one single person here that's better than the other. We all come from the same place. And so as Christians, we should be able to talk to one another or talk to a stranger and be able to identify with that person's miseries in life. We should be able to know what it's like to have a guilty conscience as they might have. We probably know, some of us, might even know what it's like to go through a day. And we begin to love that person because we know what it's like to hurt. We know what it's like to feel lonely, to feel abandoned. We know what it's like to struggle with sin. And in that place, we only had one car, so I would go pick her up. She was finished with work, I think at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, so I would get there on the busy street of the city. It was the market street of the city where many people would walk up and down, especially during lunchtime. I would go there at 12 o'clock and be there for three hours until my wife was ready to come out. And in those three hours, I would see all kinds of people. I would see men in their suits coming in and out of the bank where they work with their briefcases in hand, talking on their phones to customers and making deals over the phone. I'd also meet a lot of young people who were supposed to be in school, but they chose not to go, and now they're hiding behind the street corner smoking cigarettes together. I'd also meet people who were clearly homeless, and I'd also meet people who were filled with the stench of alcohol all over them. And as I would meet so many of these people, I learned to sit down with each of them And I didn't just walk up to them and say, hey, can I talk to you about Jesus? Because usually people run away when you say something like that. It's kind of weird to just walk up to somebody and say, hey, can I talk to you about Jesus? But I would just sit down with somebody and say, hey, how's, how's your day going? How are things going for you today? What's new in your life? And as you begin to strike up a conversation, you'll find out the rich man in his suit the drunken person, the young kids who are smoking cigarettes, or the homeless people. They all have something in common. They're just like us. They're sinners who are in need of salvation. And I got a chance to encourage many of them. Some of them let me pray for them. I encouraged them to put their trust in Jesus. Some of them didn't want to hear what I said, and so I just peacefully walked away. But what? I'm a father, 
I'm a son, I'm a brother, I'm a pastor. And in all these roles of life, I know what it's like to go through the struggles of life. And the more we realize that we all come from the same exact place, thankful for the mercy that he or she has received. Because even though God shows mercy on all people in many different ways, there are some who are never thankful for what he's done. There are some who will still reject him even though today he shows grace and mercy. Let me show you a story, if that's okay with you. If we go back into the Bible for a moment, I'm not going to put it up on the screen. I just want to show you this if you'll turn to it. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus told this parable, and I just want to read through it with you right now, and maybe we'll stop a couple of times just to mention a few things. But I want to show you what it looks like when a sinner has been shown mercy and yet they are unmoved, unchanged by the mercy they have been shown. Matthew chapter 18, beginning at verse 21. Peter came to Jesus and he said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And then Peter thought, let me try to be holy here. How about I forgive him seven times, Jesus? That sounds like a good number. Aren't you glad God doesn't say to you, I will forgive you seven times and then I'm done? <laughs> and so Jesus says, I don't say to you up to seven times, but 70 times seven. Now listen, Jesus isn't saying you should forgive someone exactly 490 times. And then after that, don't put up with it anymore. That's not the point Jesus is trying to make. Jesus is trying to just give such a large number to teach you that you are to forgive and forgive and forgive. Because your Father in heaven forgives and he forgives and he forgives. And so Peter, just keep on forgiving. Verse 23, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents. Now it's hard to translate money into today's currency, but we do know that talents is the largest measurement of weight that the Jews had. And 10,000 was the highest number used to estimate big numbers. Like if you wanted to describe a huge multitude of people, you would say it was 10,000s of 10,000s. It was the highest round number the Jews had. So in the story, Jesus said there's a man who owes 10,000 talents. Now Jesus is trying to tell us the amount he owes is way too much of a debt to actually pay. Verse 25, and at least I'll get something out of it. It won't be 10,000 talents, but at least something. The servant, therefore, fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And there is a big, big problem. Why? Because this servant cannot pay back 10,000 talents. 
It would be like me telling Oscar right now, you owe me 10 billion US dollars. The servant came to the master and he asked for patience. Give me time and I'll pay it all back to you. But the master knew, you can't pay it all back to me. What are you talking about? You don't need patience. You don't need time. What you need is mercy and forgiveness. You need that debt wiped away. So it is when we come before God. We're not asking for time and patience. We ask for mercy and for forgiveness. Amen? The master of the servant was moved with compassion and he released him and forgave him the debt. And only if the story ended there. But it didn't. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. That's about three months worth of wages. And he laid holds on him. And he laid his hands on him and he took him by the throat. And he said to him, pay me what you owe me. And that fellow servant fell down at his feet, begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you. Then the master, after he called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I pity you? In other words, you should have become a minister of mercy. And the same forgiveness you received from me should have been flowing out to someone else who was in need. But that didn't happen. And his master was angry. He delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. And then Jesus says, So my heavenly Father also will do to each of you if from his heart he does not forgive his brother his trespasses. If the master gave that servant to the torturers to pay back all that debt, how long will it take for him to pay back the debt? It'll take thousands upon thousands of lifetimes. It will take eternity. So it is when someone rejects the forgiveness and the mercy of God. God. And he was not thankful. He did not look at himself as poor in spirit. He thought he could pay it back. Just give me time and I'll pay it back. What a wrong attitude to have. Ungrateful, unmerciful, and in the end, he would suffer for eternity. This is what happens when the mercy of God falls on a heart that is unchanged. But let me tell you what happens when it comes upon somebody who has been changed by it. Just this past Wednesday at Connect Group, at one of our Connects, we were talking about desiring Jesus, to be more like him. And so we asked everybody around the room, what's an example of how you just want to be like Jesus? And of all the things that were being said, I wanted to know somebody who works in a workplace. How do you show mercy where you work? And so, oh no, I didn't say mercy. I said, how do you 
show that you desire Jesus in the place where you work. And our brother Clemens gave an answer. And I told him I wouldn't embarrass him, but sorry, Clemens. Where Clemens works, they have goals to reach every month, as I'm sure many of you do. There's a target you've got to reach. And Clemens has a team of people. They work together. One by one, they've got to make their own targets at the end of the month. And so, Clemens prayed for his team that they would all reach that target, but Clemens also knew there's somebody within that team. There's a woman on his team that is not doing well. It's not for a lack of trying or laziness, she's just not doing well at all. And Clemens knew if at the end of the month, if she does not have another customer come in, she's not only going to lose money, she's going to lose her job. And so Clemens just prayed, somehow God, give us a miracle. Give us a miracle and help us, especially this woman. If this woman loses her job, Clemens also knows that in her personal life, she's already struggling with many things. And his heart went out to her. Well, at the end of the month, praise God, Clemens, as good as he is at his job, he made his target. He reached his goal. And God blessed him with an extra customer. And so Clemens waited, and at the end of the month, he saw that this woman added no more customers to her account. And so what do you suppose Clemens did? He chose to show mercy. And he handed this woman that client that he had and gave it to her. Saved her from getting fired. Now, when other people heard about that, like his boss, you can imagine what a boss might say. Clemens, act like a leader. Show an example. Worry about yourself. Make your own targets. If you surpass your target, then great. I mean, worry about your own promotion in life. Worry about you. And if somebody else is not doing well, then so be it. Maybe other co-workers would say, Clemens, what are you doing? Worry about your own business and your own targets. If you help her out today, you might have to do it again next month. Maybe she's going to depend on you once again. Clemens, be wise. Think for yourself. And we may have many things to say to Clemens about why he should or should not do what he did. But Clemens, the Lord looks upon you today. And he says, blessed are you. Blessed are you. For you showed mercy to somebody who was in need. Clemens just saw someone who needed something. And I'm sure he knows what it's like to be us is. It will be harder for us to withhold mercy from someone than to give mercy. The more you understand God's love for you, and how merciful he has been to you, it'll be so much easier to let mercy flow. It'll stir your heart to show compassion and kindness. It will be more difficult for you to try to hold it in and not do anything about it. Be a minister of mercy. And the second question, why are they blessed? Well, for one thing, we are most like Jesus when we are merciful 
and being like Jesus, that is a joyful life to live. Amen? We've already learned that joy and happiness, you, you're not going to find it in money. You're not going to find it by being popular or pretty. You're not going to find it from a glamorous life or from being smart and well-educated. Many of those things are nice, nice blessings. But the true joy is to have the life of Christ within you. That's happiness and joy. So for one thing, to be merciful is to be like Jesus, and to be like Jesus is joy indeed. But look what Jesus says. Blessed are the merciful. Why? Because they shall obtain mercy. They will receive mercy. Just as with all beatitudes that we've looked at so far, the blessing, the blessing is partly for today, and the blessing is also for a future day when you're in heaven. And so it is with this blessing that we shall obtain mercy. What does it mean today to have this blessing? As we show mercy and compassion and forgiveness toward others, God will show us mercy in the way that he deals with us. See, in the way that he deals with us in our life. Think about Job. Great man Job. Job suffered sickness, losing all of his children. He lost all of his possessions. He lost all of his wealth. He had three friends that came to him and did nothing but break him down and to ruin him with the words that they spoke to him. What they said were such nasty things, lies about him, lies about God. But in the end, God was ready to restore Job. But before he restored Job, before he showed mercy upon Job's life, first he wanted Job to help his friends. They were going to offer a sacrifice to God. But God says, I'm not going to accept it from them. But Job, if you offer it on their behalf, I will accept it through you. So Job, these men that have done nothing but hurt you, help them with their sacrifice. And forgive them for what they've done for you. You think that was difficult to do? Is it easy to forgive? It's probably one of the hardest things a Christian does. But here's what it says in Job. Chapter 42, verse 10. And the Lord restored Job's losses. He restored everything to Job, even twofold of what he had before. He restored so much and had such great mercy upon Job's life. When? When did God show that mercy? When he prayed for his friends. God restored Job when Job prayed for his friends. In other words, when Job showed mercy, he received even greater mercy from the Lord. And so I believe that today, the blessing is we receive mercy as we show mercy to others. You know that today at the Sea of Galilee, it's drying up of water. 
And so they're trying to feed more water into that Sea of Galilee. They're trying to raise the level of water. And they're trying to expand the water line of that lake because it's so important to all the community around it. And in the same way, I believe God. And the more you allow that to flow out, the greater measure God will give to you. Today's blessing is that God shows us mercy day after day. And when you need more mercy to show, God will give it to you. Secondly, tomorrow. Tomorrow, in the future, we shall also obtain mercy on the day that we face the Lord in judgment. On that day, we will receive mercy, he says. The Bible says in James chapter 2, verse 13, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The one who is saved by Christ and indwelled by the Holy Spirit learns to be merciful. Not just talking about mercy, but showing mercy with love and compassion. This one has no need to fear judgment. For this one shall receive mercy at that time of judgment. And the mercy that they receive shall triumph and it shall rejoice over our guilt at the time of judgment. Believe me, when the world faces the Almighty God, the one who sits on the throne of heaven, the ask for a second chance, the world will plead for mercy. Because that's the only thing that can allow us to pass through the judgment of God. Mercy. And praise the Lord, we have received mercy through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? But woe to the one that judge one day, you have nothing at all. Nothing except you and your sin. And on that day, there is no place to hide. On that day, you can't look at anybody else and blame them for the state that you're in. It's you and your sin in front of a holy and just God. Without Christ, there will be no mercy. Musicians, would you come? Do you know that the mercy of God, it was shown to us 2,000 years ago. Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God didn't look upon the world and feel bad for you. He didn't say, oh, if only there was something that could be done. No, God had compassion, love, and mercy. He looked upon you, and he knew that on your own, you are hopeless. Therefore, he gave you his only begotten son, and there lies the mercy of God. That if you will put your faith in Jesus, his blood cleanses you from all your sin. 
And today you can know Jesus, this promise, blessed are the merciful. I stand at that throne. Jesus, you will stand with me. You are my advocate. And if you have, has it changed you at all? Amen. Let's all stand together. Amen.